Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a monitoring analytics platform for cloud-scale infrastructure and applications. Datadog provides dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform, so you can get end-to-end visibility quickly. Be proactive with your monitoring strategy and catch issues before your clients are impacted. Start managing the overall health of your environment with a free Datadog trial. Go to datadog.com cloudcast for the free trial. That's datadog.com cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well as we cruise through the middle of March, uh, getting to get into what would have normally been the beginning of sort of uh, event season. Uh, It's not necessarily happening this year, but we'll see where events go for uh, the rest of the first half of the year. I think we're going to still see virtual events, but, uh, you know, we're getting to that part of March where we start to see some some very interesting things happen. Obviously, the weather changes. Uh, Everybody's adjusting to daylight savings time now, at least in some parts of the world. I think it happens in other parts of the world next week. So the joys of daylight savings time are upon us. Let's dive dive right into Cloud News of the Week. Uh, As always, lots of money exchanging hands. So this past week has been a big week for security companies. So uh, Sneak, S-N-Y-K, um, added $175 million uh, in their E-Round. Uh, their you know, company who is um, really kind of focused on developer security, uh, a round uh, that brought their f- uh, sort of valuation up above $4 billion. So a huge, uh, big step up for Sneak. Also in the security space, Aquasec uh, took $135 million, again, in an E-round. So we're seeing a number of these uh, sort of cloud security, container security, developer security companies, um, you know, extend out their business uh, before any sort of, you know, big exit action, uh, an acquisition or an IPO. But uh, they took $135 million for around a billion dollar valuation. So uh, we continue to see uh, big investment in the security space. And, you know, we've, we've highlighted over the last couple of weeks, uh, other companies who had, uh, you know, made acquisitions in this space. So it's definitely security continues to be a very, very hot topic. Continuing the trend of uh, companies who come on the Cloudcast, uh, you know, doing well. Uh, Linear B, who was just on a couple of weeks ago, took on sixteen million dollars of A round funding uh, to improve developer workflow. So, congratulations to uh, the Linear B team. It was fun to have them on a couple of weeks ago. And if you haven't had a chance to talk or listen to that show, we talked about uh, sort of remote asynchronous development and uh, what that means and, and how that was affected by COVID. And then finally, you know, we always like to announce revenues and, and compare the sizes of the various cloud companies. Uh, Oracle announced their revenues just recently, uh, and their cloud closed out uh, around $7.25 billion. Now, keep in mind, uh, that is inclusive of their SaaS business, which is probably the uh, the best part of Oracle's cloud, although their infrastructure business does continue to grow. Uh, but $7.25 billion, you know, puts them probably in you know, fifth place or sixth place or so in terms of uh, cloud revenue and so forth. So uh, Oracle continues to transition from being a, uh, you know, huge player in the in the software space and uh, having dominant control in the database market to um, having a much more viable uh, cloud business and, and uh, you know, and growing that uh, in interesting ways. So with that, we're going to kind of wrap up a short Cloud News of the Week. There are some interesting uh, other things that we threw in Cloud News of the Week. Those are always available, uh, but we, uh, we want to take time on, on the interview. So very excited this week to sort of dive into a topic that we've hit on a number of times, but we've never really, really dug into it, and that's SaaS. 
And so we get a chance this week to to dive into not only um, you know a little bit of, of the technology of SaaS, but more importantly, kind of the finances of SaaS, right? So for those of you that are acquiring SaaS uh, technologies as part of your company, this is going to be valuable to you to think about you know how do we measure healthy SaaS companies, but also for those of you that are you know really kind of uh, understanding how SaaS works and um, you know how. It, what it takes to deliver SaaS as a business. It's really interesting to uh, to understand kind of the financial economics that go on to successful SaaS businesses, um, how to sort of figure out if they're in growth stage or they're in slowing down stage, where they need to expand and so forth. And so really excited about this talk. We dive into sort of how to really understand financial modeling around SaaS right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by CBT Nuggets. We know that Cloudcast listeners are curious about technologies, But how are you really learning to master the technologies needed to be a cloud expert? You know, when Aaron and I got started, we had to buy books, set up labs, find experts, and then hope something didn't crash. CBT Nuggets makes it easy to either get hands-on skills or get certified with the latest cloud technologies. Whether it's AWS, Azure, cloud automation, security, or app dev, CBT Nuggets has you covered. What I really liked about CBT Nuggets is the online instructors are both knowledgeable and they keep it interesting. Their courses have built-in test questions, virtual coaching to help plan your certification path, and I can always jump into a virtual lab to get hands-on at any time. Check it out at cbtnuggets.com slash cloudcast to sign up for a free learner account. This unlocks tons of great training, and you'll be entered into a drawing for a free six-month premium subscription. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloudcast. Today's show is sponsored by Cumulo. Cumulo makes managing file data at massive scale radically simple. File data is at the center of the human experience. It transforms genomic research into drug therapies, factory logs into machine learning, LIDAR images into maps, and video into entertainment. File data is the currency exchanged in digital classrooms and labs, advancing knowledge and research around the world. Freeing users and the applications that depend on vast amounts of file data is what Cumulo lives for. As the world goes digital with unstructured file data driving human experiences from movies to new vaccines, Cumulo makes it simple for you to store, manage, and create with file data at massive scale, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud. Experience Cumulo's file data platform for free today, cumulo.com slash cloudcast. That's Q-U-M-U-L-O dot com slash cloudcast. And try it with your data today. And we're back. And folks, you know, a lot of the times what we try and do on this show is is obviously, you know, Aaron and I have been, uh, you know, digging into new topics and we try and bring you experts and things. But one of the areas that, that Aaron and I have really been kind of doing behind the scenes, uh, just because we've been watching trends in the industry, is is looking at SaaS. And so, you know, we've had plenty of companies on who, um, you know, the founders come on, they're creating um, some infrastructure, PaaS layer technology as a as a software, as a service, but we've never really dug into the numbers, at least on this show. And, you know, one of the things that Aaron and I have been doing sort of in our in our spare time is, is kind of digging into, you know, what does it look like to run a SaaS company? What do the financials look like? How do you derive metrics? How do you derive success and so forth? And we thought, you know, that's a topic that if it's interesting to us, we think it's going to be interesting to you. So very, very excited today to bring on an expert in this space. So excited to have Ben Murray, who is founder, the SaaS CFO and the SaaS Academy. So Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Great to be here. Um, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, we we oftentimes dig into the technology of the show your background is more on the financial side of things. You've, you've been a CFO at SaaS companies. This is you know an area that you're 
passionate about and been covering for a while. So before we dive into it, give folks a little bit of your background, how you you know got into this space and, and what sort of is driving you to uh, really try and educate a lot of people on, on how to be better uh, around the, the financial side of SaaS. Sure. Yeah. My background has been uh, 25 years in, in corporate finance and accounting. Uh, you know, I've been in two industries, airlines and then software and uh, in software ever since, you know, for the past 10 years or so. Uh, you know, so I came up through the ranks of finance, you know, and, and then, uh, you know, as an analyst and then into uh, the SaaS CFO role, uh, but also took a little detour before going to grad school is actually a mainframe programmer, uh, oh, programming wow. in COBOL. So for some of those listeners who are, you know, remember that, uh, was was doing that for a little bit as well. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Actually, it, it's uh, there's a little bit of parallel there between you and uh, like Jim Whitehurst, who was COO at Delta and then went on to become CEO at, at Red Hat. So, you know, airline industry mm-hmm. to the software industry. Right. Um, yeah. You know, uh, we I mentioned that, you know, one of the things that Aaron and I, my co-host, have been doing is kind of trying to to better study up on the, the world of SaaS. And, and it kind of fascinates us that, um, you know, every time we dig into it, there's, you know, in the other parts of the stack, it's, you know, digging into technology and in the, in the SaaS world, you know, it just keeps coming back to sort of here's the financial model of what good SaaS companies look like. Here's what it looks like in the growth stages and, and different stages. Um, you you are now sort of really focused on educating people in this space. Like, how do you go about teaching best practices? What are the sort of methodologies? Do you start from kind of general accounting principles? Is is your software background? How do you blend those two worlds together? Yeah, and when when I talk and work with founders, there's always a progression, right? You know, in the maturity of your finance and accounting process, so you have the financial data that you need to run your business and also be proactive with your business. And you know, it's it's not sexy, but it starts with the accounting foundation, right? Having good accounting numbers, timely, accurate, so that you can actually do something with that data. You know, but with SaaS, you know, it, one piece is accounting, but it's also all the operational data that's trapped in that business. You know, so SaaS CFOs really are focusing, of course, on the accounting side, but then the operational piece and marrying those two together. You know, so there's that progression of accounting data, you know, to having then good financials and then from good financials, then be able to produce metrics that are relevant to your business. So you understand, you know, where where you're going with the business. Yeah. And I and I have to imagine, um, you know, you you really kind of have to understand much more than you would have if it was kind of commercial software, right? Because, uh, you know, commercial software, you spend a lot of money up front and then, you know, you were putting it out as a, you know, a CD or a, or a download, you know, SAS, there's, like you said, there's an operational component of, you know, you're still spending money before anybody ever comes to your website. So, you know, you, you kind of have to really kind of understand the operations of that point, uh, which seems sort of unique to the SAS world, I think. Yeah, really, you know, kind of back to my airline days, you know, you know, of course, airlines very operational and, you know, taking that background and applying it to SaaS, it's the same thing because really to be effective in finance, you have to understand what's going on in the business, what's happening with your departments, you know, what are their objectives within those departments because it, it you can get lost in those sea of metrics and data and really trying to figure out, you know, what are we trying to move here? What's important for the organization? You know, at what stage are we? You know, if we're growing and we want revenue growth or now we need to stabilize and we need good margins, we need good cash flow, uh, you know, so stage is so important. But now executive teams really need to understand, of course, the financials and then the related metrics that are driving their business. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think that the stage piece is, is really important. Can you kind of walk us through, um, you know, for, for anybody who's maybe not as familiar with sort of the, the common stages that a SaaS company goes through, um, you know, what, what are those ones? And then maybe, you know, so you're in, you know, beyond just a first product, but it's customer acquisition and then growth and it kind of help us, what are the stages and what are some of the kind of the important things that you're considering in, in, in each stage, like why they're different? Right. Yeah. Early on, say, you know, you, you put your product out there and it's, it's about attraction, that early traction and, and your go-to-market strategy. You know, what, what are your acquisition channels? How are you going to get customers? And then understanding, you know, are they, are they staying with you? What's your churn? What's your retention? You know, so it's a lot about the revenue streams, your go-to-market, your acquisition channels early on, you know, and you're less focused on say, hey, my margins aren't that great or my cash flow isn't that great. Of course, cash is always king but really focused on that top line, the go-to-market. And then, right, it, it evolves, you know, to, well, now I'm, com- uh, you know, my company is growing, I'm scaling, I'm adding headcount, you know, I'm, I'm building out my support team, my services team, you know, customer success, you know, sales marketing, et cetera. And as you build out those departments, then you have to decide, you know, where am I investing in my business? Where, you know, what is, just like a product roadmap, what is my financial roadmap for this business? You know, to make sure at some point, you know, say if I go from cash burn, that I have a plan to go from cash burn now to cash flow positive. You know, so you're looking at, you know, how's your revenue growing? You know, what are your gross margins? What's your operating expense profile? And that's your your sales, marketing, GNA, and R and D. You know, when I talk about your OpEx profile, you know, so it's just like that roadmap, and you're you're looking at what features you're building, what's going into the product. As a CFO, I'm looking at that same thing. Where is our revenue going? Where are margins going? Cash flowing? You know, because you need a plan. You know, to you, you kind of you know achieve or or come out of one phase and into another. Yeah, yeah, and that's to me that's one of the biggest things. Is I've been you know kind of diving into SaaS more and more is is kind of the understanding that. Uh, you know, there is a big difference in the way that you go to market and think about the market when you're just trying to raise awareness of your product. You're trying to get initial customers versus, um, you know, when do we spend time on, you know, trying to get, uh, you know, additional 20% of new customers? Or are we trying to, you know, um, grow existing customers? Because there's very different financial models that go against those two different things. You know, when does it make sense to, uh, you know, add more sales reps? When does it make sense to, uh, you know, double down on marketing? And so you really have to understand the phases are different. Um, You know, and I think if you've sort of lived in a traditional software world, you think of everything as an individual transaction. I want to make the most money I can get out of that. And that's not always the case in SaaS because of this sort of ongoing recurring relationship you have with customers or, or customer churn. Right. Yeah. Sales and marketing metrics are so important near and dear to my heart because I spend, you know, CFOs have a close relationship with sales and marketing and what's happening there. So, right. Yeah. New versus expansion revenue, you know, in the beginning, as you're growing, it's like, hey, it could be expensive to acquire these these customers. You're looking at your CAC or your customer acquisition costs, but that's okay because you're trying to grab some market share. You're trying to grow. It's okay to have an expensive CAC, but that's where I talk about, hey, that financial roadmap, you know, where are you going? Eventually that has to reverse where your CAC is efficient, you know, where you can acquire new customers at a decent cost, you know, so you're not tying up all your working capital in your CAC. And the same thing with expansion, right? CAC and acquiring new customers tends to be more expensive, which is fine, 
But then expansion revenue is, is very important. That can drive huge growth. And expansion typically is less expensive to you know, expand your existing customer base, whether that's through <clears throat> upsells or cross-sells to different products. You know, so those are the different metrics as you grow that you have to look at you know, to make sure eventually that they become efficient, that you understand you know, your, how your go-to-market strategy you know, translates into an ROI for your company. Right, right. Um, so we we end up having a lot of folks who are product managers, um, technical managers, um, who are either you know inside of their company, you know, running software and and making products for their you know for their end customers, or you know they're part of vendors and so forth. Um, I wonder if we could kind of walk through you know, just some of the the so you use CAC as an acronym acronym mm-hmm. acronym uh, customer acquisition costs. Can you walk us through maybe some of the, the five, six really important ones that if you're, you're a product manager and you're hearing these things thrown around, like what are they and why they're important? Yeah, I would think for a product manager, you know, with SaaS, any recurring business, you have to understand the health of your recurring revenue, right? Because that's, that's where valuations come from. It's that recurring revenue stream, that na- nice cash flow that you build over time. You know, so the health of your recurring revenue is so important. That's where you're measuring churn and retention. So some common things that you look at there is like logo churn. You know, how many you know customers are you losing per month or per year? And then there's also the revenue side. So they talk about revenue retention. A big one is gross dollar retention. So if you look at your existing customer base, how much revenue from that existing customer base are you keeping? You know, then you have net revenue retention. So you know with that is gross dollar retention plus expansion from your existing customer base. And that's where you hear like that, that term net negative churn or, you know, ex, you know, expansion greater than hundred percent that your existing customer base can also drive big growth. You know, so that's, you know, really important. I think for product managers just to, to understand and also just the leaders in general in your business, because you could be doing, you know, a fantastic job of acquiring new customers, but if you have, horrible retention, right? You're just going to get caught in the cycle of spending money to acquire and then you lose it right away. And that's why they say churn is a SaaS killer, you know, because it just sucks up so much cash cash within your business that those are some, yeah, those are some of the big metrics that, that you should be aware of. Yeah. And that's, you know, to me, one of the really unique things about SaaS uh, from a software perspective is, um, you know, as a, as the company providing it, you really, if you've built the product the right way, you really should have very good visibility into what your customers do, right? That's different than if you're selling software that goes on premises and, you know, you're not really sure what they're doing. Um, you know, one of the things that I've, I find, um, and I think this is sort of organizationally very interesting is not enough companies kind of, you know, share this sort of knowledge, right? They, you know, you'll have product managers or you'll have technical teams and they think, my job is all about, you know, getting as many features as I can or looking at my competitors and figuring out, do we have enough things on our list and so forth? And and I think what I find in the SaaS world is because you know or should know what your customers are using, which features are they using, how long are they staying on certain pages, you know, how f- infrequently or frequently do they log in, it almost is as if they really need to be educated on connecting the dots between that technology and and these financial metrics, right? So they understand, oh, you know, I don't need an 11th feature. I need those eight that we have to be even better, more sticky, more, you know, I, we need you to be reaching out to customers when we've learned that, you know, when they go from feature three, four, and five to five and six, they double their spend. Like, how do you find people educate 
uh, across organizations with with these sort of financial knowledge or financial metrics? Is it a common thing, or is it you know still a, a big area to, to to grow into? Yeah, I think it's still a big area to grow to, and those are you know some great debates internally that I've had with executive teams of hey, let's you know just stop creating so many features and let's just sell the product that we have because we have hey we've got good retention you know our acquisition so far is pretty good and those are the things that say dev needs to know you know of what's happening you know from the the customer facing world what what is sales experiencing on the front line as far as trying to get new products into organizations you know and that's where that business side has to trickle down to different departments and especially dev that it's like you know, let's just take a time out. Do we really need, like you said, that 11, 12, 13 feature? Or can we just sell the heck out of what we have right now because it's working? And then decide, you know, where we should spend our time. Yeah, is it, is it retention? You know, because I've seen two philosophies of, you know, with a product roadmap. Some people, it's like, hey, I want to build features to grab new customers. Other, it's, I want to, you know, improve existing features to retain our customers, you know, so it's that's where that that business side, what sales is, is experiencing, what the CFO is seeing, and sharing that with with the dev team. Yeah, no, and we've we always encourage folks, you know, that it's important to not only be, you know very good at what you do on the technical side, but understand the business, understand what your customers do, understand sort of that whole process. Um, you know, <clears throat> we we constantly see, uh, revenue numbers come out from companies. Companies announce earnings. We see stuff in the press and so forth. Um, and sometimes it can be a little complicated. Like, is a company doing well? Or are they not doing well? Do you have sort of a, a set of sort of ratios and metrics that you know, as as you look at a company, you can sort of tell, okay, um, at least on the surface, that company's doing well. That one's struggling. Like, are there are there some kind of key, uh, you know, flags that you look for as to how well a company is doing at any stage, uh, from a SaaS perspective? Yeah, I always like, you know, kind of looking at the macro picture, kind of financial management 101, you know, one is, you know, again, the health of your recurring revenue and two, you know, a big thing is gross margins, you know, so where's your gross margin at, you know, and that's just revenue, you know, minus your support team, customer success, uh, you know, DevOps. And if you have services equals your gross margin, Right. And typically I'm looking for something that's 80 percent and greater. And then within that, you can break out, hey, what's my recurring revenue margin? What's my services margin and so forth? So it's so important you know, to look at that profile to say, hey, you know, is it working? Is my gross margin too low where it's like, hey, that's really going to hurt my cash flow and it's going to be hard to catch up? Or, you know, my gross margin is great. That's working. So as revenue scales, my cog scales and then looking at your operating expense profile, you know, and what investments that you need to make. You know, as you look at, you know, I did a study on HubSpot's financials, you know, and they, you know, the gross margins were really low, but as they were scaling fast, right, revenue growth was great. And, you know, assuming that they were investing in their infrastructure to keep up with that revenue growth. But it's interesting as they reached or got closer to IPO, you know, that financial profile really changed where they got their gross margins to 80 plus percent. They started producing cash flow and positive EBITDA margins. So again, that's where I talk about, you know, that that financial profile of, hey, we may be burning cash right now, but we're growing fast. We have the cash runway, but at some point, right, that's going to have to flip and you're going to have to prove the economics of your business. Otherwise, right, you, you'll, you'll run out of cash eventually. Yeah, no, that's, 
That's one of those areas that I find always confuses people. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'll give you an example that, you know, was out in the news like a week or so ago. So a company like Snowflake, who, um, you know, they're in the they're in the SaaS sort of data, data lake, database model world, um, lots of buzz. Um, and their numbers came out and they basically, you know, they, they you know, exceeded their expectations on the revenue side. And then, you know, the, the flip side of that was, yeah, but we lost, you know, so I think their revenues were, let's say, you know, 200 million uh, for the quarter, uh, but they'd lost 60 million. And so, it, you know, there's this weird dynamic, I think, that happens in people's head where they go, okay, they, they grew like crazy, but how did they lose so much money? And, you know, there's there's certain sort of rules of 40 and rules of 50 that kick, kicked around in SaaS. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of explain to people, and I think it has to do with, again, what stage of where you are, but like, how do those things line up where it seems like, you know, on one side you're growing really fast and the market loves you, but you're losing money like crazy. Like what are some of the, the ways to kind of rationalize how that's working out? Right. Yeah. Well, something like that, it's, it's really, it's like, what story are you trying to tell is that that growth story and eventually you're going to be profitable. The story really matters, but right. The rule of 40 is a very popular SAS metric within the, the private equity world and, and say public world as you're in that growth scaling mode and what the rule of 40 is really saying is that your, your revenue growth plus your EBITDA margins should be 40% or greater. And that kind of deems you as an attractive business or a very healthy business. Now, there are two sides with that. One is you could have tremendous revenue growth, but negative EBITDA margins, but you still have a positive rule of 40. And that's okay because it's like it's a give and take and it's an important financial concept that, hey, if my rev- revenue growth is super high, yeah, I'm investing to support that growth. And at some point, they'll flatten out and will be cash flow positive, but it's okay. But on the flip side, if you're in a market that's very mature and your revenue growth is just very steady or slow, then you better be producing nice cash flow, nice EBITDA margins to be deemed attractive. You know, so it's that give and take. And it also helps financial, you know, the managers of the business, you know, where are we investing? Are we investing in growth? You know, what's the ROI for where we put dollars on our P&L? You know, if that's in COGS, if it's in, you know, our OPEX infrastructure, you know, so there's always that balance because, right, it's going to be hard to be high growth and high EBITDA margin. So it's just that financial balance in your business as managers that you have to be aware of. Right. Yeah, no. And, and I like that, um, you know, as, as you, you read up about some of those things, they kind of give you some sense of like, you're going to see the numbers look like this. And that may mean, hey, you need to double down on. Uh, you know, trying to take more market at this point in time. Actually, your number's too big. You need to to double down on taking market or your number is getting lower. Like you said, like the market may be maturing. You should be doubling down on on cash flow and being, you know, stable and protect yourself. And so, yeah, it's it's interesting that it it kind of fits into these known paradigms that I feel like sometimes the software world is just kind of like, oh, well, if we have a genius founder, it's going to work out or if we have some killer technology. But the reality is, you, you have to be very, very disciplined uh, on the financial side to make things work. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a, you know, a bit of you know, financial, right? There's financial planning with that. It's like, hey, great product. But you know, eventually the metrics, the economics of the business have to line up uh, where maybe you're having great growth, but to support that growth and that infrastructure, it's just too expensive. So you either have a cost infrastructure problem or a pricing problem uh, you know, or both. You know, so it's 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 really the managers of the business, the the executive team, you know, has to they have to understand, you know, the the P and L, 
you know, and the metrics that are important to their business. Like you said, can we double down in sales and marketing because our CAC is great, our cost of ARR is great, uh, you know, then let's go for it. But if it's not great, hey, we've got to pull back and and reassess that before we invest money into use that something that's not going to produce your return for us. Right. Right. Now you've, like, like you mentioned at the top of the show, you know, you've, you've been in the, the non-SaaS world, you know, you were in the mainframe world. Um, you're now fully kind of in the SaaS world. Do you find that, that SaaS is, is sort of unique in, you know, how you think about financial modeling for it? Or, you know, do you feel like there's certain kind of principles, best practices, um, that could be applied if somebody was like, Hey, I run an internal software team for my organization, you know, can we run this technology more like a business or is SaaS sort of unique in, in the way that it has visibility into stuff? Are there any parallels that could be drawn? Yeah, I think, you know, with SaaS and modeling and forecasting SaaS, you know, you know, the big thing is understanding your, your operating model, you know, as, as revenue grows, you know, what do you need to support that, that revenue growth, which is really important, uh, you know, so that economic model of the business. But I think, you know, with talking to founders, seeing different business models, you know, the expense side is pretty easy to forecast, to model, to understand, but it really, you know, almost every SaaS company has a different pricing structure, a different go-to-market structure, you know, so really the unique thing with SaaS is around pricing around the revenue streams, you know, because before you had kind of, you know, the pure SaaS, now you have SaaS plus transactional or SaaS plus hardware, Uh, you know, so just these different revenue streams or managed services, you know, that that's the unique part of SaaS is that that revenue model where the expenses, you know, are, are typically pretty straightforward, you know, to, to model. Right, right. Ben, I want to thank you for your time. I, we, we could, I, I have a feeling I could sort of pick your brain for hours and hours, but I want to be uh, very conscious because you're just starting off going, you know, full time. You've been running the SaaS uh, CFO and the SaaS Academy for a while, but you, you just announced the other day that you're doing this full time. Uh, so I want to let you get back to it and, and thank you for the time. Real quick for people that are like, man, this stuff, you know, I need to learn more about this. What, uh, what do you get out of, out of engaging with, say, the SAS Academy or the types of things that you've been writing about for, for years and years? How can, you know, what, what types of things would somebody expect to learn? Yeah, if I have tons of free resources out there, you know, posts and templates to download at uh, the sascfo.com with THE in the front, which will be in the show notes. Uh, but that's a great way, you know, kind of the how-to, the why, tips and tricks of met- SAS metrics and concepts. Uh, so tons of free resources there. And then of course have my SAS Academy. If you want to dive in deeper into the metrics, if, if those are core to your, to your business, uh, to your, your position, you know, and you're actually calculating those and have to understand those. I have some, some courses that will help with that as well. Yeah, no, that's great. And we'll have links to those in the show notes for folks, uh, for anybody who's, who's interested, you know, we're always looking for, for good, uh, good resources to try and learn new things. Well, Ben, thank you so much for the time today. It's been uh, it's been really helpful to to dig into it to kind of get a better sense of stuff. Um, you know, is there outside of the website? Is there a good way for folks if they want to engage with you around these things? Uh, you know, I know we're not traveling much, but uh, you know, what's what's the best way to, for folks to get engaged with you? Sure. Yeah, you can contact me through the SAS CFO site uh, or on uh, Twitter at the SAS CFO. And uh, of course, feel free to, you know, if you have any questions about this, please email me at ben at the sassyfo.com. 
Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, folks, with that, we're going to wrap up. Um, you know, I've enjoyed kind of digging into this. Like I said, Aaron and I have been uh, really looking at it, you know, kind of behind the scenes and something we've been uh, very curious about. So this has been a great chance for us to dig more into it. Um, as always, thanks for everybody for telling a friend about the show. Thanks for helping us grow the community. Uh, if you get a chance, tell your friends about Cloudcast Basics if they're, if they're new to the cloud space. With that, we're going to wrap up and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 